Speaking of, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, O Lord, in your sight. Amen. I do believe that I have preached this passage or its companions in Mark 6 and John 6 a number of times already. One of the most quintessential stories about Jesus has to be this one. It's in almost every children's Bible, every youth curriculum, and it is the core teaching in hundreds, if not thousands, of books. Jesus walking on water. A number of years ago, I did a month-long summer series preaching through John Ortberg's book titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. Does anyone remember that? Just, okay, I was going to say, just nod your head yes, lie to me, it's fine. A title which pretty much sums up the generally accepted takeaway for this story. So what is there left to say today, right? It's all been said. I see, you know me better than that by now. I once had a congregant wish to challenge me about my use of the word myth when teaching about Jonah and the whale. I retorted that the word myth does not mean it is worthless or a fairy tale. In fact, the word myth invites us to work harder to uncover what I sometimes call very professionally the truthier truth the pearl of immeasurable value, hidden within. Literalism, I said, is lazy. That went over well. She was shocked, of course, and asked if I had always felt this way about Jonah. And I said, oh, most certainly not. I used to think it was quite literally true, but I've grown and I've changed my beliefs since then. A response I thought was quite harmless, but turned out to be the straw that broke the camel's back. You just don't even know day to day. You've changed in your belief, she said. Uh, yes, I reassured her, and I hope to do so again and again. I'd be quite disappointed in myself if I haven't allowed the spirit to stir and mold my faith. It would be a travesty to find myself in this journey of faith to be standing in exactly the same place five years from now, or 10, or 20. A faith that wanders and explores is a faith that is curious, active, and alive. It is not going away from God to change one's position on a thing. It can be a sign of seeking after God. Like Lewis Carroll's Alice, I knew who I was this morning, but I have changed a few times since then. I think if we are genuinely inviting the Holy Spirit to do the work of sanctification, of molding us into the likeness of Christ, then I think that we ought to be expecting some changing of heart and mind and soul and life. And it is this openness to change and transformation that I bring to the preparation of a sermon every week.
I must. You see, it is good news for someone called, equipped, and tasked to preach the gospel week in and week out to relatively the same congregation. It means that I can rest in the knowledge that in my preparations and prayer that the exact same message won't necessarily reveal itself to me, even if I have preached the same story innumerable times. Jesus walking on water probably a dozen times from this pulpit. And yet, as if I've approached it for the first time, a new angle presented itself to me this week. So buckle up. First, let's do a recap. Just ahead of our story this morning, if you read the pericope just ahead of it, Matthew recounts the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. After this very public and busy, likely exhausting event, Jesus wanted some time alone to recharge his batteries. So he told his disciples to get on a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee because he wanted some time alone to pray. Now during the journey, a dangerous storm overtakes the boat the disciples are in and they begin to panic, naturally, wondering where God was. Jesus comes walking to them on the water and the disciples become scared thinking it's a ghost. Jesus calls to them saying, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter then questions Jesus saying, if it really is Jesus, to call Peter to come and walk on the water towards him. So Jesus invites Peter to come and walk on the water. Peter climbs out of the boat and begins to walk along the surface. But as soon as Peter gets scared of the wind and waves, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. Jesus reaches his hand down, grabs Peter. You of little faith. They climb back into the boat and the storm stops. The disciples immediately begin to worship Jesus and recognize that he is the son of God. I love this for them. So the traditional interpretation of this story, right? Over and over again, this well-known story comes to mean something like the following. Peter had the right idea. Getting out of the boat and quite literally stepping out in faith. Indeed, in all of our lives, we can see Jesus standing out on the stormy waters of this world, bidding us to come to him. Like Peter, we must heed this invitation, find the courage of faith needed to swing our legs out over the boat side and step out onto the waters. If we do, then we will walk to and with Jesus, trusting him alone to help us do great things for God. But beware of doubts. Be wary of fears. Don't pay it any attention to the winds that howl or the waves that lap up against your shins. Keep your eyes fixed on the master. For if you do, then in his loving and confident gaze, you will find the strength and courage you need to stay upright. Peter failed to have enough faith, but you can do better. So if you are facing some big decision, if you sense God calling you to the mission field, or if you're wondering how you can witness to your coworkers, then you need to have the guts to get out of the boat, to take risks, to put your full faith in Jesus alone, and then you will walk on the water. Dearly beloved, here endeth the lesson.
Amen. Or maybe not. You see, interpreted this way, Matthew, for, and I've done it, okay, like, mea culpa. <laughs> interpreted this way, Matthew 14 becomes a kind of model for Christian behavior, a classic piece of moralism. Peter's initial faith is to be emulated. His subsequent failure of doubt is to be avoided. Do this, don't do that. But understood this way, the bottom line is that if you do it right, then you too can walk on water. Jesus even wants you to walk on water. He wants you to just be bold in the faith. The alternatives are fear and doubt, and we all know that those things ought to have no place in a believer's heart. Walking on water in this interpretation is about courage and faith and boldness. Indeed, this phrase has come to mean something synonymous, even in non-Christian settings. It has become synonymous with word or phrases like, the early bird gets the worm, or think outside the box, or when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You will find numerous consulting firms and motivational speakers who use the image of walking on water as the goal to which businesses and individual workers should aspire. And at the end of any sermon with this focus, I'd wager, if I was a betting lass, that 90% of the people listening to the sermon would actually feel worse about themselves, about their faith, and their commitment to Christ. Did any of you get a chance to read the reflection Connie wrote for the newsletter that went out yesterday? Sorry. You're standing there. I'm outing you. It was quite profound and self-reflective. Connie, I'd even say it was a bit vulnerable. We'll talk about that later. How brave. In her, if you do not subscribe to the newsletter, you must, A, because this next part's not going to make sense to you. In her reflection, she wrote about her discomfort with being vulnerable and sharing her feelings. It doesn't make me emotionally intelligent, she writes, and it probably doesn't make me a great Christian. I feel like sharing your faith is easier if you're willing to let your guard down. Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. Who does that? Who sees someone doing an impossible thing and goes, oh, me too. Call me to do it too. I'll tell you. Someone who's willing to risk being vulnerable for the chance to do something impossible. Peter is the king of letting his guard down, at least with Jesus. The world needs risk-taking disciples. It needs people who recognize Jesus in a place they didn't expect to find him, doing something they didn't expect him to be doing, and who say, me too, Lord. I get it. I get it. I've thought that way for a long time, too. And as a card-carrying member of the passionate, impulsive Disciples Club, like Peter, I kind of thought I had the edge on this part of Christian living. You want someone to take a leap of faith? My foot is out of the boat before you finish that sentence. And I can name about a half a dozen others in this room who are like that, too. Everyone else? Sorry. I guess you're like the disciples still on the boat. 
you know, the ones who never got to experience walking on water, womp womp. But what if, what if Peter was wrong? That day on the lake, when the disciples were in a storm and they saw Jesus walking toward them, not one person asked Peter to get out of the boat. The disciples didn't put him up to it, nor did Jesus suggest it as a way to test Peter's faith. They saw the man walking on the water and they got afraid. Jesus said, chill, it's me. And Peter essentially said, back to the Son of God, prove it. If it's you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. Would you know what that means? Do you know what that was? It was optional. After the resurrection, the disciples are gathered in a room scared, and the risen Lord comes among them. Later on, Thomas shows up, and the disciples tell him that the Lord has been raised from the dead. And you know what Thomas said? He said, prove it. I'll believe it when I can touch his wounds and press my fingers into the holes in his hands. And we've been calling him Doubting Thomas ever since. But Peter Peter essentially says the same thing. If it's you on the water, Lord, if it's you, prove it. Call me out to join you. Prove it. Prove it by making me do a miraculous thing, too. Good grief, Peter. Get over yourself. Why are you so extra? Why do you assume that the hardest way to do something is the best or the most faithful way of doing something? It's not. Punishing yourself is not the same as proving yourself. And it all makes me think now that the rest of the disciples who were still in the boat might actually have been the ones on the right track. At least they never asked Jesus to prove himself. Nor did they feel this was a perfect time to prove their faithfulness by risking their lives. This is my new take on this story. It's refreshing. And I think it's faithful. And I hope it gives Connie and those of you like her who have resigned yourselves to being the type of disciple who's still inside the boat, checking the first aid kits and maps and coordinates, you're doing okay. But before I give them too much credit, let's roll the footage back for just a second to before Peter gets out of the boat when they're all freaking out about the storm and they look out onto the water and they see something or someone walking towards them. Couple that fear, hang on to that, with later in the story, when Peter sees the wind whipping around him and the depth of the water beneath him, and he starts to sink. Jesus says to him, hopefully loud enough for all the disciples to hear, 
You of little faith, why did you doubt? We've maybe been wrong in assuming that this was an indictment about faithlessness. I wonder if it was actually an indictment against their forgetfulness. That is, they fail to remember all that Jesus has done and what Jesus is capable of. Maybe Jesus wasn't scolding Peter or any of the disciples for failing to do what he was doing, walking on water. Maybe he was calling out their lack of trust. Reverend Nadia Boltz-Weber captures this next thought perfectly, so let me just quote her directly. She says, do the math here. Who is it that they had seen cure the incurable and cast out every demon? Jesus. Who is it that they had already seen calm the winds and seas during a previous storm just a couple chapters earlier? Jesus. Who is it that they had seen make the lame to walk and restore sight to the blind? Jesus. Anytime now you can join in. Who is it that they had just seen Feed 5,000 souls with a few fish and a couple of loaves. Jesus. Who is it they had seen raise a little girl from the dead? Jesus. And who is it they think is walking on the water towards them when their little boat was getting lashed by a storm at sea? A ghost. What? (laughs) To, To my knowledge... Not one of those miracles that they had just witnessed was performed by a ghost. But that's who we are, isn't it? We are forgetful. You of little faith. Jesus never asked Peter or any of them to come walk on water as a test of their dedication or loyalty. He just wants them to trust him to do what he has always done. Walk towards us in our distress. To answer our cries for help. To rescue us from danger. Even the danger we needlessly create for ourselves. Where are the Peters in the room at? Faith is not you doing the impossible, church. Faith is remembering that God can, has, and will again do the impossible. To have faith is to know that God is God, and we do not have to be. And we are not called to be. There are no tests of faith, not really. Faith is an invitation. You do not have to make things harder than they already are. You do not have to walk on water, even though I know that some of us will still try. We're a little slow on the lessons sometimes. And if life is storming around you, it does not mean that God is far away. We don't have to assume it's a ghost coming towards us. It's just that sometimes the winds are against us and life is terrifying. And sometimes we forget what God has done. 
Sometimes we do not hear it when Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Sometimes we just automatically assume the worst. We look for ghosts and not for God. Sometimes we sink in the stormy waters of our own mistakes and miscalculations. And sometimes, sometimes at the very last minute, we have the faith it takes to just call out, Lord, save us. To quote Nadia again, Jesus isn't going to demand you get out of the boat in the middle of the storm first like some kind of deductible of self-reliance that you must meet before your spiritual benefits kick in. Isn't that great? Jesus isn't going to demand you get out of the boat in the middle of the storm first, like some kind of deductible of self-reliance you must meet before your spiritual benefits kick in. At the end of that boat ride, all of the disciples were spared, all were rescued. Only one of them was sitting there soaking wet. And I'm not saying that one is right and the others are wrong. I'm saying that faith takes many shapes and faith changes throughout our lifetime. And this is good. It's very good. We ought to expect it, anticipate it, invite it. But what doesn't change, what is steadfast and true, is that God is always there and never tires of reaching out and catching us in the storms. Every time, without fail. I'd rather not need Rescue, says the poem for this week's devotional. I'd rather not need rescue. I'd prefer a five-step plan and a quick-fix solution. I'd prefer stubborn insistence over honest vulnerability. Because rescue requires asking for help. Rescue names the rising water. Rescue sees the tired, treading feet. Rescue feels the swell of the wind and the rain at a slant. But when the floor falls out and the world is on fire and my small hands cannot fix the hurt welling within me, the prayer that slips out is rescue. Rescue. Rescue me. Our faith is remembering the God who always rescues. May you and I find ourselves reminded of that this week. To God be all the glory. Amen.